98.7 FM. FM, Arizona's sports station. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Then I'll begin. Begin. Okay. Here we go. Arizona sports goes local. Local. That is awesome. We're giving the mic to local hosts right here in Phoenix. Whoa, snap. Because what's a Saturday without sports? Ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's sports station. Arizona Sports Saturday, and a happy Saturday to all of you out there listening. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and a local sports talk. Alongside Zach Larson filling in for Steve Zinsmeister today. I'm Mitch Vareldis. Trevor Henry's keeping us company behind the glass, and. We actually just witnessed the end of the top of the third inning. And who's coming up to bat in this Red Sox-Yankees game? Aaron Judge. Yes. Aaron Judge. So we witnessed history last night. We'll touch on this quickly. Albert Pujols got 700 home runs. He got 699 and 700. In the same game against the Dodgers. Very impressive. And, I mean, even Dodger Stadium couldn't hold back. Of course not. Their applause. and, And and. for them, that was also it was a former player. If oh, you if you want to go that far, we'll put that title on him. <laughs> but, but I I think too this miraculous season that Albert Pujols just put together basically solidified this. This is a player that we're going to remember for a long, long time. Oh yeah, no doubt, Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, um, absolutely one of the best offensive players of the 21st century. And uh, we obviously have Aaron Judge coming up, and he's definitely trying to make his name with this season. But I don't think there's ever going to be a player that dominated like Pujols did over the 2000 era, that entire decade. It was just every single season Pujols. He had Barry Bonds in front of him at the very beginning of the decade, but then he completely took over. He was the face of the league. And even into his later years, this final season for him, it's very similar to David Ortiz's final season where he absolutely dominated. I agree. Pujols hasn't skipped a beat. He's back to his pretty much his 2010 playing days instead of that kind of couple seasons where he fell off from 2019 to 2021. So the angel years, we'll call them. Yes. So not turn out well, but it's very I'm very happy for Pujols. I think the entire Major League Baseball. The, the entire community fan base is happy to see another player breach that 700 mark, the fourth player to do so. And yeah, a great guy overall with Albert making that milestone. 100%. It's been a memorable season for him. It's been a memorable baseball season in full. Uh, we'll quickly check in on Aaron Judge towards the end of this segment because he's about to hit. But right now, we got to talk about first last weekend because... Wow. Yes. They were down 23 to 7. The Arizona Cardinals were on the road in Las Vegas. And you could make an argument, and the argument had been made by a lot of national writers. They could have been declared as the worst football team through six quarters. And then the second half happened. And it was like, where, how did we get here? Yeah. And I think, especially after the way how they played against the Kansas City Chiefs week one. Really struggled. Their offense started to click in the second half, but obviously too late when you're facing Patrick Mahomes, who was perfect throughout Sunday. Of course. And then you have Derek Carr and the Raiders, and their offense rolled down the field. They were scoring touchdowns easily. 
Devontae Adams got a score early on in that one. And the offense for the Cardinals looked exactly like it did week one against the Chiefs. There was just nothing going. They couldn't convert a third down to save their life. Uh And Kyler threw an interception. He had a couple that should have been intercepted, but he just did not look good. And then the second half started. Down 20 to nothing, then 23 to 7. And then you started seeing Kyler. They get the touchdown to Greg Dortch and the two point conversion on 20 seconds. Everyone's talking about that play. My goodness. Murray converts it. They get the ball back after a defensive stop, roll out the entire clock, score with time expiring, get the two point conversion, and overtime, obviously. Such a big play by Isaiah Simmons to force a second fumble off Hunter Renfro. After Zayvon Collins forced a fumble on Renfro the couple plays before, Byron Murphy returns it for the longest touchdown in overtime history for a fumble recovery. Kind of an interesting question. Is this the defining win of Kyler Murray's tenure as a Cardinal? Is it the defining win of Cliff Kingsbury's tenure as a Cardinal? I give more so to Kyler than I do Cliff because Kyler basically orchestrated that entire comeback. Of course, the win came onto the defensive side, but... They aren't in that game if they don't have Kyler Murray as their QB. Yes, I think Kyler took over that game. And I think we heard all the players and even Cliff say that was Kyler's game. You could see it in his eyes. He's taking over. He decided to use his legs more, which we haven't seen in a while. He definitely utilized the running game to his advantage. And again, he just made some passes that were just like to Marquise Brown. Mm-hmm. That was unfortunately not a touchdown. They got the score later on, but... Hollywood Brown making a big catch. A.J. Green with a big catch on an impressive throw for Murray. It just seemed like that was Kyler's game. And yeah, I think Cliff has had better play calling in other games. Agreed. But in that second half, he knew. I mean, you have to credit Cliff for saying, we're going to put the ball in Kyler's hands and we're going to just let him work. We're going to give the ball to our best player and our best player is going to get us the win. And that was... That was kind of the game that you expect to see from a guy that gets paid $235 million in the offseason. And it's an interesting conversation because one of the biggest fears of when you pay a guy is he is he going to go Steve Miller band? Is he just going to take the money and run? Or is he going to go all out and prove to every last second that he is the player that earns that money? It was actually an interesting conversation point that was brought up when Steve Kine was a guest of Burns and Gambo yesterday. And he was asked if there was ever a doubt with Kyler responding after he got paid. A lot of different times, you know, you, you just wonder because I've seen both ways. I've seen guys regress. And uh, I didn't think that was the type of person Kyler was. Sometimes you have to bet on the come. But at the same time, you know, I know Kyler is such a competitor that he ultimately wants to win each week. And, you know, at times he, he's almost so disappointed that you want to encourage him to, to be a little more positive. But at the end of the day, man, he, he is such a competitor. Put the team on his back and obviously finish the drill for us. And I think we saw earlier with Steve Keim in this era when he paid David Johnson that money and the mm. production just didn't get back to that level that he had in 2016. He was gone Sunday. in a year. Yes. <laughs> so I think, yeah, Kyler playing like he did on Sunday, that was a big fr- fresh breath of air for the Cardinals organization and fans because like we were meant, like you mentioned, his first six quarters looked horrible they for looked the awful. Cardinals. They looked like this franchise was going in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. I think is what... Dave Pash said on the final call of the game on Sunday. And yeah, this team completely did a 180. I don't know if it were the players in the locker room 
that were talking to each other. Obviously, J.J. Watt, it was his first game back since he had the injury week one. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he made his presence known early, too. Yeah, had Got a that sack. sack. He, so I have a feeling he might have been one of the few leaders that stepped up and said, hey, we're a better team than this. And in that second half, they proved they were a better team than the Raiders. Okay, so now are we going to jump to conclusions this weekend? Like, is this is this the game that tells us whether or not that Raiders game actually meant something? Or are we just going to have to sit around and wait for, you know, several more weeks until we truly find out who this football team is? There's a lot of factors that are going into this weekend, and I'm curious your opinion on which one is a bigger monkey to get off the back, I'll phrase it. They've lost six straight home games dating back to last year. As far as a calendar is concerned, it dates back to last October, the last time they won a home game. Number two is the Sean McVay era has treated the Cardinals very, very poorly. 10 of 11 in favor of the Rams. Which is the bigger monkey that they got to get off their back? Because they're facing both, essentially, tomorrow night. It's got to be the Rams. It's got to be McVay and the Rams. And I think the biggest factor is what happened the last time these two met. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals were absolutely embarrassed on Monday night football in front of a national audience in the playoffs in a season where it just started to snowball in the second half like it did in 2020 and 2019 under Cliff Kingsbury, and the Rams just put the dagger in the Cardinals season. I think that Cliff has always been viewed as below Sean McVay, and rightfully so because of McVay's dominance, but that 37-20 to win week four against the Rams on the road, I mean, that's the only win in this Sean McVay era that the Cardinals have had against him. And it was a pretty convincing win by the Cardinals, too. It it was, but again, it's early on in the season. We could see the Cardinals finally get a win at home against McVay, but it's it's just, I think the Rams, it's the, the blue and yellow that they need to focus on here instead of the home field advantage. Eventually, you're going to pick up a win. There's just no way they're going to continue to lose at home. There's got to be an opponent that eventually they'll get the win, but you have to look at the Rams. It's and, kind of miraculous in itself, right? The struggle to win at home. And you look back at the opponents, the only one that really stands out to me is, uh, okay, why would they be outweighed by the opposing fans in this one? Was Carolina. And yeah. maybe the other factor you can throw into that was, oh, Kyler Murray wasn't healthy. But then in response to that, Colt McCoy still went 2-1. and one Against division it, rivals on the road. Exactly. In those three games that he played, the one, of course, being the Panthers one. But then the other ones, you think about it, you had the Colts on Christmas. That's an easy travel game, especially if you're a fan in Indianapolis in the winter. You have the Rams, you have the Seahawks, you had the Chiefs two weeks ago, and now you got the Rams again. So it almost feels like you're getting outweighed at home before you even get a chance to step on the field. And that feels like a tremendous disadvantage in itself. I agree with you that the monkey, however, needs to be the Rams. And... Look, they'll knock off both if they can get this win against the Rams. But to continue to struggle against this Sean McVay team is kind of the the argument or the example as to why Cliff Kingsbury will forever be known as like Sean McVay light or not quite as good as Sean McVay. He's the reason he got the job in the first place, but he'll never reach the level that Sean McVay did. And that's a big struggle. Really quickly, let's look at the injury report before we get out of here. It's. By far the healthiest-looking injury report the Cardinals have had all year. James Conner was limited Thursday and Friday. He is a game-time decision. Two guys have already been ruled out. Linebacker Ezekiel Turner and wide receiver Rondale Moore, who's now missed 
all three games to start the year. Cliff Kingsbury had mentioned that he hopes to see him back no later than week five, but we shall see. Coming up next, it took about one week, and Robert Sarver made a decision that really has made a lot of people happy. We'll go into the obvious next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Zach Larson filling in for Steve Zinsmeister today. Steve enjoying a nice little vacation here before coming back next week. Trevor Henry's behind the glass. The biggest story for the Phoenix Suns, maybe for the entire NBA for the past couple of weeks, has been... Well, I guess you could say even past couple of months, it's just kind of been underneath all of the other active 24-hour news cycle stuff, was this investigation that was first put out by ESPN that Robert Sarver had created a toxic workplace environment, to put it in short. Fast forward to now, today being Saturday the 24th, but then go back a few days to Wednesday, I believe it was, Wednesday, it was Wednesday. of this week. When Robert Sarver made the announcement through a statement that he plans to sell his shares of the team. Whether that means his shares or as the majority owner, the entire team, that is yet to be known. However, Zach, and you're a Suns fan, so maybe you can attest to this a little bit. The reaction seems to be a positive one from the fans in terms of Sarver giving away ownership of this team. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans kind of realize as the story from Baxter Holmes kind of revealed a lot of instances of Sarver's workplace behavior, you could tell that a lot of fans were not happy with it. And as a person with that much power should not be able to do a lot of the things that he's done very You know, he's a jerk in the eyes of the public and a lot of fans. Yeah, they are very happy to see that he's trying to sell the team. But at the same time, I know a lot of fans are happy. But at the same time, they're thinking, well, this guy's going to get a lot of money selling off this team or both the Phoenix Suns and Mercury. Very much so. You know, it's kind of a it's a win to get him out of the Suns organization. But at the same time, he's still going to be able to live his life. With as much money as he wants. Like, remember, he still he bought this team initially at four hundred million was his stake. There's already rumors that it could go as high as like two billion. Yeah. So he's still going to win in the end. And he had an opportunity, in my opinion, he had an opportunity to take a graceful exit in his statement. And there were a couple of paragraphs that a lot of people latched onto in this statement. And I'll read them now that made it very hard to just kind of let this go. So here's from Robert Sarver's statement that he released on Wednesday. Quote, As a man of faith, I believe in atonement and the path to forgiveness. I expected that the commissioner's one-year suspension would provide the time for me to focus, make amends, and remove my personal controversy from the teams that I and so many fans love. But in our current unforgiving climate, it has become painfully clear that that is no longer possible, that whatever good I have done or could still do is outweighed by things I have said in the past. For those reasons, I am beginning the process of seeking buyers for the Suns and Mercury. Close quote. You had. I OK, I'm I'm trying to choose he, the words carefully. He goes, he's he's going after the cancel culture that has correct grown over the couple of years is in his perspective. And 
it's I'll say this. Maybe 30 years ago, yes, owners could get away with this. and Owners could get have... away with saying exactly this in a statement yes. that long and ago. They, and they would be fine. They would still keep their position. They would still have the team and everything. Yes. But we have gone into a new era and new age where – We've account- evolved yeah, accounted- as humans. Yep. Accountability needs to be taken for actions. And Sarver has I, – I mean, again, he, he is I'll, – I'll phrase it like this. I'm sorry that everybody else is upset over the things that I've done. That's, that's what it kind of feels like. That's how it, he's wording his statement. And I think that is just the worst example for some of the younger people in this world to say, I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. I'm just sorry that I got caught doing it. And now everybody is upset. So now, now I'm upset. He he does take a little. I'll give him some credit. He does take a little bit of ownership. By saying in the next sentence, quote, I do not want to be a distraction for these two teams and the fine people who work so hard to bring the joy and excitement of basketball to fans around the world. Close quote. I appreciate that he recognizes that, but it's completely buried by everything he's just said before it in the statement. Yeah. And and the I'm honestly, the damage is done. You have already yeah. created a distraction when the initial report came out instead of what he has done now, which is slightly take ownership for what he's done. He completely denied all the statements. He had the legacy partners for the Suns. They also said we completely deny. He had people like Larry Fitzgerald, James Jones say, well, this is completely absurd. This this article by Baxter Holmes, it's it's nothing. It's not true. But at the same time, now we're we're confirming that it is true. And Mm -hmm. now all these people who put their faith into Sarver saying, I really hope you didn't do all these things. And right. I believe you. Well, now he's just lost a lot of bridges there. He's burned a lot because he lied to them. So let's look ahead now because as we teased earlier and, you know, this isn't just a number that we're throwing out there. This is this is what ESPN's Brian Windhorst told Bickley and Murata yesterday, what he thinks about the Suns and what they could be worth. I know that the, that the Suns have been valued by Forbes and Sportico at like 1.8, 1.9. I don't I think it's going to blow that out of the water. Yeah. I think it'll be well over 2 billion dollars. I think you'll have multiple bidders. So, let's speculate a bit because we have a story up on arizonasports.com. The title of the story is Who Could Buy the Suns from Robert Sarver? Expect a bidding war. And the picture that is chosen for this article is by who I believe could be the front runner in all of this. And that's the former CEO of Disney, Bob Iger. Now, here's the reasoning that's listed in the story. As we know from the relationship between the ESPN and NBA, by ESPN and the NBA, excuse me, not to mention Disney World's hosting of the bubble during the pandemic, there's a strong tie between the league and Iger's former company, but also a friendship between Iger and Suns guard Chris Paul. And in that, Iger's name makes the most sense out of these names. How do, you re- a, how do you react to that? It's a fair assumption. I definitely think that there's clear connect connections with that. And I, I I don't know. I am on the fence. I don't really look into the ownership aspect. I don't see a lot of like names that I'm like, oh, you know, that's jumping out there. Like, I mean, Jeff every- Bezos. Oh, you, you, I, I had I'm just throwing I, it out there because I, it's on the list. <laughs> I was going to play some Bo Burnham here because oh, I, man. but no, yeah, Jeffrey Bezos. Now he was in the running for the Denver Broncos. There was a couple times he where was. he was mentioned, but now you got 
I, I obviously it's only like a couple billion dollars cheaper, but at the same time, it's still a couple billion. You could see Beso go into that field. I mean, obviously, he's it got, feels like a tax write off for him. It's listed yeah. here per Forbes. He's worth one hundred and seventy one billion. Yeah, I on. think he can afford it. Come on. But also, I could see you could see some of these former athletes. I mean, obviously, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't have like I would say the money, but no, he could be an investor with a a partner group again, like like how he was with Robert Sarver. So I think we could see him. I don't want to say, but I I know you're gonna. I, I Peyton Manning has been mentioned a couple hmm. times to be involved. And maybe getting with a group with uh, the Denver Broncos as well. So maybe right. he says, "There's that's the thing too. The Suns right now, at least in basketball terms, they are one of the more successful franchises on the floor. There's a lot of things that make them valuable outside of the floor product too. I mean, yeah. think about it. Phoenix, Arizona, it's a pretty good year-round climate to be in. You know, there's, there's scalding summers, but that means warmer winters, right? Yep. You've got one of the older franchises in the entire league, right? And you can pay out the wazoo to convince free agents to come here. Like, that's the other big thing, is you can continue to build upon the floor product that already exists. And I think that's one of the advantages that, unfortunately, Robert Sarver has, is he's also selling a good team. Yes. Now, if he was selling a team that was in the middle of that 10-year drought... Would we be having the same conversation? Who oh, knows? absolutely not. But it's definitely an advantage to have a good on-floor product as well. Yes, and I think a lot of people also kind of pointed out over the time uh, Robert Sarver was planning on seeking buyers, he did get Monty Williams and James Jones into the situation. But that also came after years of sifting through different GMs and head coaches. Mm-hmm. So he struck lucky. You got James Jones, who is a terrific general manager. He's got Monty Williams, one of the most loved coaches in all of the NBA. And yeah, he has Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges. So many stars on this Suns team that he is selling a product that you just cannot pass up. Coming up next, the train has officially been decommissioned. What train am I referring to? Obviously, the one that was heading ASU football. What's next for them? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Toughest day of my professional career, no question about it, to have to separate from Herm Edwards, but we've known each other a long time and we've always been very honest. We did not get it done here at the level that any of us aspire to. And when it's time for change, you make the change. And so we feel like for this current team, for our future, for our staff, for our university, this is the appropriate change at the appropriate time. That, of course, was the Arizona State University Vice President of Athletics, Ray Anderson, speaking press conference on Monday. Mitch Veraldis, Zach Larson, filling in for Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass here in the Auction Community Studios. And this it, did we did we kind of expect this to happen? Oh, Herm absolutely. Edwards getting fired. You you expected it. Okay. Entering why? entering the season, I didn't think he would be fired this soon. I didn't either. That's kind of my caveat here. I I, I agree. I think I think at least they were gonna get through the season. But when you lose to a school like Eastern Michigan, and a lot of credit to that team for coming up with a great game plan against ASU. 
You cannot do that when you are Arizona State. You cannot do that after the success that Herm Edwards had against some non-conference schools early on in his tenure. It was just, it's it's a bad loss, and I think it was rightfully so to say goodbye to Herm. There's some things that I wasn't happy with in how Ray Anderson spoke at the press conference, however, particularly this cut where he's talking about the strides that the program has made. Absolutely. Uh, we've made strides, uh, certainly uh, on the academic front and also in training and development, but we haven't made nearly the strides we had aspired to and we had anticipated. Uh, and so, yes, we're in better shape. Are we where we want to be? No. Do we regret uh, the decision? No. Do we regret that we haven't had more success? Yes. Okay, here's what I agree with. I also regret that you haven't had more success. Oh, I'm yes. also glad that you do not regret the decision. I'm not sure whether he refers to hiring Herm or firing Herm, but either or. I'm glad he has regrets or however he phrased it. What the hell do you mean you're in a better place than you were yesterday? Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of just uh, filler speech. Hey, we're doing okay. You this, know, we're, we're, we're all this, right. This Hello. This this program still has an investigation looming over their heads. And a potential— What the hell does he mean? Yeah, one-year ban likely going to happen for ASU, at least with the In Bulls comparison season. to what happened with LSU, yes. their notice of allegations was announced. I also found out that their investigation took 20 months. Yeah. So they've been under a microscope for a while— so are we going to have to wait another – so when did this come down? What was this, July of last year? I want to say that sounds – So we right. have to wait until December? Yeah. For work? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That alone is frustrating enough. Yes, and I, I think that was the beginning of the end for the, the Herm Edwards era. Obviously, you get the NCAA investigating you for anything, and it's trouble, and Herm – Openly admitting like or not admitting, but saying that he wasn't a part of the recruiting process. But clearly it just kind of became clear. Yeah, he was a part of but it. Just happened to be photographed from behind with one of the candidates. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, sure. I, I I just think th- this decision, again, everybody kind of knew, OK, we're getting close to the end of the Herm Edwards era. And it just it struck at the the worst possible time for the program coming off one of the worst losses you could say over the past decade. One of the worst losses. We know that uh, everybody in the stands that night was, you know, felt a little different about the outcome for Eastern Michigan, but that's besides the point. I, I agree with you that this is a, this was an embarrassing loss and this is the kind of loss that does get you fired. I'm still kind of surprised that he did get fired because again, to clarify, he was going to get fired at this point in time, I don't think it made much sense because, yes, you have an immediate replacement in interim head coach Sean Aguano, but now you're going to be scrambling for nine weeks to figure out, okay, are we going to keep him or are we going to still try and convince somebody else to come in when probably the notice of allegations for this program is going to come down around the time that this season ends? Like, how are you supposed to entice somebody to take this job now? And I, I think, yes, that might be a, a- – not a good look for ASU, but at the same time, I think it kind of opens up the fact that, yes, okay, we are like desperate for a head coach. So we're looking for the real talent. And I think at least with Sean Aguano, I think they're giving a guy who 
is getting an opportunity to coach at the collegiate level after having so much success at the high school level with Chandler High School winning four titles from 2014 to 2018. I think this is his chance to prove what he is as a collegiate coach, obviously coaching running backs from 2019 when he was hired by Herm Edwards. But at the same time, I it's unfortunate because in Iguano's press conferences and media availability, he keeps saying, I'm taking this opportunity. I, like, you know, I'm going to make the most of it. But all the media outlets and everybody else is already speculating on who's going to be the next ho- exactly. head coach because exactly. it's just not going to be him. And so it, it just it sucks for Iguano. And you do make a great point. It's like, why not just keep Herb, Herm Edwards and just play out the season? And there's going to be a lot of frustration regardless with yeah. how the season turns out. I will say this. He's 0-0 right now, technically, but he's, in my opinion, 1-0 after that press conference. He absolutely slaughtered, Sean Aguano did, that press conference, particularly with this line here. The last three games were, were preseason. This is where it all counts now, these next nine games. And so it's we are at 0-0, and we are ready to play um, Arizona State football. And, and I, I'm here to inspire these kids to play that, and, and uh, I think we're, we're ready. So looking back at those three games will do us no good. I think we're going to look forward. Um, this transition ha- has been hard, and, and it's been 24 hours. But re- in reality, we got to get ready to go. And I think with that, he later joined both Burns and Gambo and Bickley Murata, and he harped on the style of play that we're going to be seeing from this ASU team. I have all confidence in my my offensive um, coordinator, Glenn Thomas, and my defensive coordinator, Donnie Henderson. Um, I'm going to give you this without giving away too much. I'm not a conservative guy. Okay. Nice. And so um, uh, uh, you can read between the lines on that one. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm an aggressive guy, but uh, making making sure that it is calculated risks. Which I believe bodes well for nine games, especially when you're facing number 15 Utah tonight. Yeah, I mean, I I think the mentality for him is what do I have to lose? I mean, we have hit rock bottom after that loss. Now we have no head coach in Herm Edwards. Now it's Iguano. And he's doing the smart thing, relying on the coaches that Edwards had brought in to try to mend this team that, again, the investigation started to dismantle. I think Aguano, like you said, he, he's going to have a lot of big decisions, and I don't think he's going to back down from any opportunity he can to continue to, whether that's on offense, converting on a fourth down or whatever. But the road for ASU, it's really tough over the next three Incredibly games. tough. They play, again, Utah tonight. They're ranked in the top 15. U- USC, top 10 team. Washington, they are number 18 in the United States. Whoopty. Yeah. It's it's going to be those risks might end up causing these scores to be a little bit more ballooned than, you know, what it should be. But also, at the same time, if he does succeed and he does bring this team together like he has, like everybody has been reporting, this team seems to have a different atmosphere around them. We heard from the practice reports that like they're taking practice a lot more seriously and Aguano is doing things differently. And look, I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton of high expectations for this team heading into this year anyway. Yeah, I was expecting them to kind of crumble and collapse like I'm used to seeing most ASU teams doing. And I can say that as an alum, a pissed off alum. But, you know, maybe they might surprise us. I, I We were having a conversation with uh, 
Kevin McCabe on his way out of finishing up his high school show. I don't expect it to be this week, but I do anticipate at least one very interesting game where Iguano comes from behind or he upsets the opponent. I expect one of those. I don't expect it this week, though. I don't think so either just because it is his first week. But at the same time, you never know. You never know these ASU players might have a fire lit underneath them and they just put it out all on the line this week and maybe that compromises the rest of the season. But if you come out here tonight, you play a great game, you upset Utah at home, that is just going to be such a huge confident booster for this football program and it'll definitely get the fans back with the ASU team. Here's here's my only charge. Play like you want to play. And play like you mean it. And play with some intensity. Yep. Look better than you did against Eastern Michigan. Really quickly, because I promised it in the opening segment and then failed to do so. Aaron Judge has had two at-bats since I last said we'll give you a Judge update. Uh, He most recently just walked. So he is still sitting on 60 home runs for the year. He is still one away from tying Roger Maris. Uh, He's currently... Uh, on base, I believe, as we speak. Coming up next, time to look at the games of the NFL this weekend, but with a twist. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday takes you around the NFL. That's right. You hear the music. You know what that means. It's time to look at this weekend's slate of games, but with a slight twist. Anybody can tell you who they think is going to win a game, what the score is going to be, whatever with that. We're going to tell you, one, why is this game of interest for you to watch? That'll be Zach's responsibility. Yes. My responsibility, Mitch will be to tell you who's going to be a fantasy guy to watch in this game. We already had one very interesting outcome of a game between the Browns and Steelers on Thursday night. That um, last-second touchdown has a lot of people unhappy. I'll exclude myself from that conversation. But let's look at the Sunday slate and the Monday night game. We'll start, Zachary, with the Houston Texans. Houston Texans. At the Chicago Bears. Why should people watch this game? Well, the Texans' run defense has faced Javante Williams and Jonathan Taylor and held both of them in check. They're facing David Montgomery. Look for the Texans to maybe secure their first win of the season thanks to their run defense. I like that. I like that a lot. So if we're looking for a fantasy guy, that Bears defense is just, it's trouble. Is Davis Mills going to have a good quarterbacking game? I don't know. But if he's going to throw to somebody, I think he's going to throw to Brandon Cooks, who just kind of has a 1,000 yards every single year and we as fantasy owners refuse to accept it so keep an eye on brandon cooks in this one that'll be my pick later on the las vegas raiders taking on the tennessee titans a couple of zero and two teams that were both playoff teams last year yeah and two teams coming off really bad losses i expect derrick henry to have his breakout game though didn't get a chance with buffalo stopping him last week didn't really do well against the giants the raiders they didn't face a lot of run heavy plays from the cardinals just because the Arizona was trailing, but they didn't look good against Kyler Murray. I expect Derrick Henry to be a big impact player in this one for the Titans. He seems like a safe pick. The quarterback play with the Titans has been suspect. The quarterback play with the Raiders has been suspect. However, could this be the game where Josh Jacobs proves his value as a first-round running back? I think that Jacobs of the Raiders is the guy to keep an eye on. Kansas City Chiefs visiting the Indianapolis Colts. Well, it's the Chiefs, and it's September, so not a lot of surprise that Kansas City's off to a 2-0 start. But on the road, and the Colts surprisingly 0 one 
one should be 0 and 2, but yeah, they should be. Well, they should be 1 and 1, but Rodrigo Blankenship decided to miss a kick. Expect Jonathan Taylor to get more touches in the first 2 weeks. Really just not a big impact player. Matt Ryan hasn't looked good. Jonathan Taylor, yeah, I think the run offense for the Colts is going to come alive in this one. And I think in the end this is going to be a if you have this guy on the Chiefs, congratulations. We've seen that Travis Kelsey is still that dude. We've seen that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is still a good ground-and-pound running back. But we're still waiting on that breakout game from either Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Juju Smith-Schuster. And I think this is going to be the one for Juju Smith-Schuster. you got a much weaker defensive backfield for the Colts. So pick up the pick up the wide receiver formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers for this one. Oh boy. You look at this one and you're actually kind of excited. The Buffalo Bills on the road in Miami taking on the Dolphins in a battle for AFC East's first place spot. Yes, and the NFL's passing leader Tua Tungaviola. Who saw it coming? 700 yards and 7 touchdowns. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle have been a dynamic wide receiver duo. But, don't count out the or Buffalo Bills pass rush. They it's are going to brutal. get to Tua. It's brutal. It it might be a long day for Tua and hopefully Josh Allen will ca- carry the Bills and my fantasy team to a win. <laughs> so here's some important news out of this one and how it impacts fantasy. Micah Hyde is now out for the season. The star safety for the Bills. They just placed him on injured reserve and he's done for the year. Which means that if you're the Dolphins and you just happen to have two of the fastest men on the planet in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, this might actually be a really good day for guys like Tyreek Hill who are able to create space and for Jalen Waddell. If you have Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell, congratulations. They're probably going to give you a banner they, or banner performance this week. The Detroit Lions against the Minnesota Vikings. couple of one-on-one squads in Minnesota. Yeah, and the Lions have looked actually pretty good. The really hard knocks top hype has actually worked for the Lions. They got a big win against the Commanders last week, but the Vikings coming off a tough loss on Monday night to the to the Eagles. I expect them to come back home, and I expect Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins to continue connecting like they did week one against the Packers. Justin Jefferson completely shut down by Darius Slay. Darius Slay had two interceptions. Justin Jefferson had one reception when he was the primary target. It was a lot, to say the least. Um... Who do I like in this one? I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown has continued to prove how good of a receiver he can be. Aside from the fact that he remembers every one of the 16 receivers drafted ahead of him, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to have another great game against a far inferior Vikings secondary. The Baltimore Ravens on the road against the New England Patriots. Uh, Lamar Jackson, anybody? He's really, really good. Yes, and he's had the Patriots' number, Bill Belichick's number, the past couple matchups. The Ravens have just looked like a better team than New England. They're on the road in Foxborough, so I could see the defense for the Patriots forcing a couple stops. But again, Lamar Jackson looking for the new contract. Expect him to continue leading the team in both passing and rushing. And I think Lamar is going to continue to flex that he is a decent passer. And he's got a pretty good target in Rashad Bateman, who has proven himself worthy early on in the season. I like Bateman in this one. The Cincinnati Bengals, the AFC champions reigning at 0-2 
on the road in East Rutherford against the 1-1 New York Jets. Yes, New York Jets don't have great a great pass rush, so I expect Joe Burrow to have some more time and look a lot better than he did in the first two weeks. But remember, Joe Flacco is an elite quarterback. I expect him to have a semi-decent game against a Bengals defense that just hasn't looked that good. Expect this one to be a potential 60 total point game. See, as much as I want to say, oh, this is the obvious get-right game for the Bengals, remember the last time the Bengals played the Jets? Mike White happened. Yeah, that was that game. However... I still think Cincinnati is going to get right. It is a much weaker defensive front against this new offensive line that Cincinnati spent a ton of money on, which means a lot more opportunities for Joe Mixon. So I like Mixon in this one against the Jets, D. The Carson Wentz revenge game, maybe, as the Philadelphia Eagles visit our nation's capital and take on the Commanders. Yeah, Wentz with a solid season so far. Just lost to the Lions last week. Took care of business against Jacksonville and his former head coach, Doug Peterson. I expect Carson Wentz to have a decent game but Jalen Hurts really making a mark he's good the franchise quarterback for the Eagles I expect him on the road to continue to take care of business against the commanders which he's dominated over the couple past couple years there seems to be a strong performance out of running backs early on in the fantasy slate and one of them included is Miles Sanders he only has one rushing touchdown but that's also his first rushing touchdown in like 16 weeks yes it's a lot and I think Miles Sanders is going to continue a positive trend in this one divisional matchup the New Orleans Saints on the road against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I think he's going to try to get back right again. Jameis Winston banged up, has four fractures in his back, and I don't know if he is scheduled to play, but... his four fractures in his back! Yes, but he's still showing that heart. We got to love Jameis Winston, but I expect True. the Panthers and Baker Mayfield, they're going to get this one right with a home game against the Saints. Christian McCaffrey has to do everything for the Panthers. He'll continue to do everything for the Panthers. And Baker Mayfield hasn't really proved much as a thrower in this one. However, if you have Michael Thomas, I think he's going to have fun against this secondary. In the afternoon slot, the first of them being the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, and Justin Herbert's health a little questionable going into Sunday. Literally questionable. Yes, so Trevor Lawrence, though, he really hasn't played spectacular, but he's played well enough to look decent. He's got Christian Kirk, too, former Arizona Cardinal. He looked really special against the Colts last week. Christian Kirk has been a positive influence for Trevor Lawrence, and I think that trend is going to continue. I think he's going to burn past the Chargers secondary in this one. The home team, the Arizona Cardinals, hosting the Los Angeles Rams. Yes, and I think this is where we really get to see how good is this Cardinals defense after the second-half dominance last week. Matthew Stafford leading the league in interceptions has five already through two games. If the Cardinals' defensive line can bring some pressure, expect Matthew Stafford to deliver a couple more turnovers. And he's going to throw a lot of passes towards the tight end, Tyler Higby. I can foresee that. And given the Cardinals' lack of success against tight end coverage, I think Tyler Higby is going to have his heyday. The Atlanta Falcons against the Seattle Heat Seahawks in a battle of the birds. Yep. Falcons. We can move off it if you uh, want. No, we'll do quickly. <laughs> Falcons actually put up a great fight against the Rams. Almost came back from 28-3. to three. Almost. Uh, Atlanta, you know, knows all about that. But I expect Marcus Mariota to continue playing like a pretty decent starting quarterback for the Falcons. Is this the game where Kyle Pitts finally gets more than two receptions? Who knows? But we do know this. Marcus Mariota has a new favorite target, and his name is Drake London. And I think the Seattle secondary, after losing Jamal Adams, 
Adams in week one. They are vulnerable. Packers taking on the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. A battle of old quarterbacks. Yeah, the quarterback for the Buccaneers, the ghoul from Skyrim. I mean, Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't just looked good at all this season, but he has such a dominant defense. Aaron Rodgers hasn't looked great so far through two games. Still played the Bears and still owns the Bears last week. But I expect this Buccaneers defense to continue their dominance. Tom Brady's a little hamstrung with his wide receivers, so I don't like any of the options there. But if you turn around and hand it off to Leonard Fournette, you're going to be in good shape. The Sunday night game, this one's actually really interesting. The San Francisco 49ers in Denver taking on the Broncos. Yeah, I think this is finally the game that Broncos country starts to ride. I think Russell Wilson's <laughs> going to have a big game against a former division rival. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is still coming back from that shoulder surgery. He still doesn't look fantastic. Got a win against a really bad Seahawks team, but expect the Broncos to be back in business. So Jimmy G, when he quarterbacks, he has a favorite target. Target, and he's going to have George Kittle back. And as much as I want to give the credit to George Kittle, I really like the former Sun Devil in this one. Brandon Ayuk is a favorite of Jimmy G's, and he's going to prove why. And then on Monday night, a battle for the NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys on the road in East Rutherford against the New York Giants. Danny Dimes Jones, he's going to continue to try to be the face of the Giants. I don't think he'll <laughs> last very long, but they're 2-0. Brian Dable has clearly brought something special to this Giants team. Expect Saquon Barkley and Danny Dimes to continue their success as the one-two combo for this offense. Going to throw a slight change up on this one. Micah Parsons has just had a monster start to this campaign. Danny Dimes is known for throwing dimes to the opposite team. Dallas's defense, if you've got it or have a chance to get it, I would go to them. That's our look around the NFL. When we come back, we'll turn things back to the local team. What is our ArizonaSports.com Cardinals insider Tyler Drake going to have his eyes on on Sunday? We'll ask him next on Arizona Sports Saturday.